Hello and welcome to the Dad Whisperer. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Watson, and in keeping with my passion to help dads become heroes, especially when it comes to the dad-daughter relationship, I'm excited that you're joining me today to add more tools to your fathering toolbox. Now, I'm guessing you've got this down by now, but if you're a new listener, I want you to review the template that works as a grid every week to guide the conversation, which is on your mark, get set, go. So I want you dads to envision yourselves standing side by side, ready to run your fathering race this week with on your mark being the topic. Get set. We're going to fill that in with stories and stats today and go is your action step, the practical way that you can put your love for your daughters and your sons into action this week. Well, today I'm excited to talk with Eric Metaxas, who is a New York Times number one best-selling author of Bonhoeffer, Miracles, Seven Men, Amazing Grace, Seven Women, If You Can Keep It, The Forgotten Promise of American Liberty, and his most recent book, Martin Luther, The Man Who Rediscovered God and Changed the World. He's written more than 30 children's books, and his books have been translated into more than 20 languages. Well, he is also the host of his own show, syndicated in more than 120 cities around the U.S., The Eric McTaxis Show, and he speaks to thousands around the U.S. and internationally each year. Eric writes, speaks, debates, lectures, teaches, challenges, inspires, and I could go on, but if I did, we'll never get to the interview. So welcome, Eric. Oh, gosh. Thanks so much. Uh, it's just great to be with you. From coast to coast. Here we are in Oregon, all, you all the way in New York. And I love that we met a few months ago uh, in Nashville at a conference where you were one of the plenary speakers. And I remember asking you if you would be willing to be on my program. And you kind of reached up and grabbed your heart saying, oh, talking about my daughter is pretty I, close. Well, it's one of those things, you know, the one thing people, this is, people need to hear this, right? That anybody who's a pastor or a writer or a speaker or whatever, they're presenting a self to the audience. It's not a false self. But mm-hmm. the point is, your whole self is much more complicated. To be married, marriage is tough. A good marriage is sometimes really tough. Raising kids uh, is sometimes really tough. Those are the things that humble us, that make us think uh, what is true. We're no better than anybody out there struggling. I know that God has used my marriage and my relationship with my daughter to humble me. Nobody mm. likes to be humbled. Nobody likes <laughs> exactly. to be humbled. But what it does is it forces you to see you need to depend on God. You do not have this figured out. You can try, but at the end of the day, we're mm-hmm. all exactly on the same page. And, and, and I know that, biblically speaking, that's just a fact, that, that, that being in a marriage, being a, a dad, um, it's one of the most challenging things. I would say it's the most important thing we mm-hmm. do. And Amen. So that's really humbling when you're getting all these accolades for your writing or whatever, and then you realize, mm-hmm. yeah, but how am I doing on the home front? Maybe I got a B minus there. Maybe yeah. I got a C plus. Maybe. Pre- yeah, how preach it, brother. <laughs> well, it's a fact, and I'm. A, I say this because I think we need to. We need to understand that that's re- that's real. I'm not just being falsely humble. I mean, this is very real for me in my life every day, and mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to talk about it. I love it. Well, on your mark, I've titled today's show, How a Dad Can Inspire His Daughter's Greatness, which actually is adapted from one of your books, Eric, which is titled Seven Women and the Secret of Their Greatness. So I'm highlighting the fact that when a dad sees the greatness of his daughter and she feels his affirmation, love, and acceptance... She internalizes her dad's view of her and thrives. So I love that you're willing today to talk about that thing that, like you said, is so close to your heart. So I'd love to just open up the conversation by asking you a little bit about what it was like when you found out you were having a girl and what it's been like to be a dad to your daughter. Well, it's interesting. I I think, you know, I'm 
I'm probably pretty atypical in that I wasn't dying to have a boy. I, I kind of have this mm-hmm. attitude that, first of all, our attitude should always be, Lord, whatever you want to give me is the greatest thing in the world. So if you give me 10 girls or, or one boy or no kids, or whatever you do, my life is in your hands. And so I didn't have this attitude, like, I want this or I want that. Um, we, my wife and I had no clue, uh, whether we could have children. We got married a little later in life. Wasn't so easy. So we were really Mm. grateful, particularly grateful for whatever God was going to give us. And I remember when we went to the first ultrasound, it was about, you know, four and a half months into the pregnancy. And that's when we were going to find out, is it a boy or a girl? Mm -hmm. And I, I will never forget it because looking at that ultrasound, it's, it's stunning to think that I remember the way the body looked, the bones in the hands, the, you know, and I, I recognize th- this is this is the daughter that God has given me. It was mm-hmm. it was an incredible moment looking at the ultrasound, and I rarely think about it, but just right now I'm thinking about it. It's just amazing to me, and I was just thrilled. Uh, mm-hmm. don't, a- don't ask me why, but I was just thrilled that God was going to give us a girl. Um, Mm-hmm. I think maybe as a dad, the, the 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 pressure to parent a boy, you know, that he's going to be he's going to be chip off the old block. He's going to in a funny way. I think maybe my brain was going to the place that it's going to be easier for me to parent a girl because that pressure is not there. I can't put that on a girl that I want you to be just like me. It's mm-hmm. going to be you know. It, it, but you know, everybody's different. Everybody struggles with that, and I, I think that uh, you know it, it's one of the things we have to figure out for ourselves. But we have to know the biblical basics. God loves us, and God wants us to love our kids the way he loves us, and that it doesn't matter, are they smart, are they beautiful, are they talented, who cares? God just says, treasure this the way I treasure you, love this child, and all I really care about as a father, to be perfectly honest, is my daughter's relationship with God. I realize that nothing else really matters. Everything else is just garbage. Who cares how intelligent, how attractive, how successful, mm-hmm. how many intelligent, attractive, successful people do I know who are unbelievably messed up where it counts? Let's yep. face it, right? I mean, how are you going to have great relationships in life if you don't know the God who loves you? Those are the, those are the most important things. So that's ultimately all I care about. And that really does take a lot of pressure off in parenting because you want your kids to study hard. You want them to do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you know the only thing that really matters is what about their relationship with Jesus. To me, mm-hmm. frankly, that's the only thing that matters. Amen, brother. And here you are as a dad modeling God as a father, whether you know it or not, to her, you know? Well, that, that's what I'm saying. That's what keeps you humble, because I know how I have failed. And I think to myself that, you know, it's important for us to know that, you know, when it comes to moral progress, the, the gospel doesn't call. I mean, we're supposed to get better. We're supposed to become holier and holier. And so there's some people that act like, oh, no, I'm just God's favorite sinner, and it's cool. It's not cool. You're supposed to make an effort to get closer to God throughout your life. You're supposed to be sanctified. You're supposed to allow him to sanctify you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's important that we do make progress. But the point is not the progress. The point is to know that we are just as much a sinner the day we go to be with the Lord uh, as as when we're born. We are dependent on Him. When we're born again, we come into a relationship where we can He can be our life. But we, it is up to us throughout our life to acknowledge that dependence every day. And nothing keeps us more dependent, I would say, than the idea that we're to represent God to our kids. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. is more daunting than that. 
So if that doesn't humble you in a good way, that you, the sinner, the screw-up, uh, are going to model God, the Father, to these kids, that's going to keep you close, mm-hmm. to, I would say. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, absolutely. So here you took us back to the ultrasound, finding out you're going to be a dad to a daughter. You said it took some of the pressure off not to have a son. What would you say has been one of or a couple of the best things about being a dad to a daughter? Well, it's interesting because I, you know, not only... Uh, Am I the dad to a daughter? But I was, I never had any sisters growing up. My mm. brother, John, is my only sibling. And so it was complete, you know, it's a tabula rasa, a blank slate. Uh, I didn't know how do you go about this. It's not like I understood girls, right? My wife will tell you that it's pretty <laughs> clear I didn't have any sisters. So in a funny way, being married uh, to Suzanne and being the father of Anna Rose has been my only real experience that's out of my mom and my grandmother, right? But 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 in mm-hmm. being with girls on a day to day basis, being with a woman, my wife on a day to day basis, it's not the kind of thing that I grew up with. So it has been uh, challenging in some ways. I do think that um, part of of what's interesting to me uh, about having a daughter is is what I was saying earlier is that I don't have that temptation to put on her as much as I might a boy, th- this, this idea that I want her to be just like me or I want this or I want that, mm-hmm. I-, I, can, I can let go a little bit more and say that I'm entrusting her to God. I, I'm, I'm going to love her, and I do love her, and that's another experience that anybody who has parent, who's a parent understands, that that love that you have for your kids, there's nothing to compare to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, you know, uh, you, you would die for them in a second, that's that's love right there. I mean, that's that's the whole definition of love. Yeah, absolutely. So she went off to college this year. I mean, talk she about just, a big life she, transition. Oh no, I know. It's she just went off to college this year, and that's that's another thing. I, again, I think that the the parenting experience it keeps changing, and so it keeps us dependent on God because mm-hmm. at every step of the way, it's there's something new. There's something new. It's so funny too when you have a girl too. A lot of people will say to you when she's ten or whatever, they say, oh, these are the good years, just wait, mm-hmm. just wait. And I, in my heart, I always would rebuke that. I would say, hey, don't put that on me, right? Like, even if it's going to be tough, don't, don't, don't act like with, with fatalism, right? Like, oh, it's going to be hell, because if God calls me to that hell, I praise Jesus <laughs> for that hell, okay? In other words, if, if, if parenting a teenage girl is tough, praise Jesus for that, because that's exactly what he called you to. Don't be negative about it. I, I hear that a lot of times, like, oh, they yeah. think to myself, listen, first of all, let's get it straight. There are plenty of teenage girls who don't go through this stuff. Yeah, you know? you're right. So, so to put it on somebody like, oh, that's, that's what you can expect, and that's, you know, you, don't, you have no idea what, what it's going to be like, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's good to be prepared. It's good to understand, because I was saying I never had sisters. I didn't know what to expect, but people would say, well, their hormones and all that, they act a certain way. So when it happened, I could be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And I would also say, for me, a big piece of the puzzle is if you really love somebody, you do give them grace. You know, in other words, to me, uh, ultimately what parenting is, it's about that fine line. Maybe this is true of all our relationships, but with parenting, it's even more intense, where there's a fine line between calling someone to account and to justice and giving them grace. And so that's the line that, as a parent, you try to figure out, that do, do I, when do I lay down the law 
and, you know, make somebody pay for what they did to teach them consequences? And when do I let it go? When do I say, you know what, she just couldn't help herself today and I'm just going to love her. I'm not going to, you know, force her to do that's every single parent has to figure that out. And I think we all get it wrong one way or the other. I think that sometimes we give too much grace when we're not blessing our kids if we don't hold them to account. Um, but at the same time, you, you, can, uh, you can have this idea that it's all about, you know, consequences. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm never going to let it go until you're really mm-hmm. exasperating your kids. Scripture tells us not to exasperate our kids, you know. So exactly. Very hard to know where that line is. I've gotten it wrong in different ways. I've watched my wife get it wrong. I've watched other parents get it wrong with their kids. I think we have to give ourselves a little grace, too, because there's no perfectly right answer. It's not so simple. And I think that sometimes when people think these things are real simple in black and white, they're definitely getting you. Exactly. It's good to have standards. It's, it's beautiful, but be careful because those things can also become a weird idol. Yeah, good point. Well, this title today, How a Dad Can Inspire His Daughter's Greatness, I mean, this is a million-dollar question, but how have you done that with your daughter? How have you, you know, invested in her life to help her become, let's just use the word that you used in your book, great? Well, the one thing I I say about parenting, at least in my mind, is that to die to self, and I think ultimately that's what parenting is, right? You're never Mm -hmm. going to get credit from your kids for what you do during most of their lives, because they'll never remember it. They'll never see it. They don't know the sacrifice you made when they were three years old or four years old or five years old. So I think parenting is an opportunity in this life to die to self, to say, God sees what I'm doing. Even if this kid doesn't see it or never even appreciates it, never remembers it, whatever, I see it. And because I love this kid, I'm just doing it for free. I'm not expecting to get kudos, slap on the back. God is going to slap me on the back. He slapped me on the back right now. He's with me in this. And I really think that a lot of what we do as parents, it's that kind of invisible stuff that I would argue that my daughter, that the the best things that I've ever done for her to inspire her, she will never consciously be able to acknowledge it. It's just something that's in her. When you're just there loving Mm -hmm. someone, you know, how do you put words to that? How do you yeah. describe that? That's profound. Uh, just, I mean, I really think that's true. And I think that I look at my own parents. My parents were, um, they were solid. They loved me. Uh, they weren't evangelical, so they didn't teach, teach me much about the faith. But I think sometimes we can put too much focus on teaching the faith. Your example, if you're just there, you are paying the bills. You're making those sacrifices. You're doing the best you can. That is... of what it means to be a parent, to give a stable environment, to sacrifice. Even let's say you're in a a tough marriage and you say, you know what? I don't care. I'm here for these kids. I'm going to force myself to love my spouse because it's the right thing to do. Those kinds of basic sacrifices are a kind of foundation which is golden. There is no way that, that you can really put that into words. When I think of what my dad and mom did, just paying the bills and keeping the house together the best they could, that is golden. I think of my wife's parents, uh, the the way they raised four kids, and you can always figure out what they did wrong, and then you think, wait a second, Mm -hmm. look what they did right. They stayed married for 60-plus years. They had a stable home and stuff. Those are the huge sacrifices that we make, Mm -hmm. and I I think that that's, I just want to say that, because sometimes people get all religious about it, you know. Um, I, I also think that 
being a parent, every kid is different. So there is no way to give a one-size-fits-all. I mean, everything that you use on one kid might not work on the next kid. Yeah, exactly. They're the same parents, you know, and I think that that's, that's a big piece of it. Raising our daughter in New York City has been really challenging, and I knew that, because she wasn't going to have the same kind of Christian community around her. We sent her her high school. It was, you know, basically secular, even though it was technically Catholic and had some modicum of faith. Basically, most of, of her friends, all of her friends, uh, were not born-again evangelical believers. How do you raise somebody? What choices do you make? There's no, there was no easy answer. And so I think that, you know, again, every parent needs to give themselves grace. You do the best you can. Don't judge yourself by some standard. If I did that, you know, I would have jumped off a cliff years ago. Because <laughs> there are parents doing all kinds of stuff that I just can't do. I wasn't made to do it. Right. My wife and I were not made to be homeschoolers. That's amazing when I see parents homeschooling their kids and being able to have that stuff. And then sometimes you'll have a kid, and I think my daughter is one of them, who's fiercely independent. Even if you do everything right, they're not, they're, they're not really going to go along with it. They've got to find their own way. That itself is challenging for somebody like me, because sometimes I do know all the answers, right? And it's like, okay, I know all exactly. the answers, so I want you to jump in line. <laughs> but, but the kid doesn't want to jump in line. Then you have to weigh to yourself, do I really want to force her to toe this line? That actually would be worse than if I just kind of let her go a little bit. You know, I really think, honestly, there is no substitute for love. When you show yourself as being really, really willing to give your whole life for these kids, I think that does something to them. And as I said earlier, I think it's a lot of it is unconscious. They yeah. may not see it ever, or they might get it years later after we're gone. I don't know. But I think ultimately that's what it's all about. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's a fact. And I think that with kids, it's the thing. What I actually always say, Michelle, this is kind of funny, right? Yeah. But I say that what gives me moral authority over my kids, over my daughter. Mm-hmm. I say, Here, here's what gives me moral authority. I would die for you. You know I would die for you. And therefore, you better listen to me. I would die for you. That's the trump card. That's Jesus's trump yeah, card. Yeah. I died for you. Amen. Therefore, and I, I kind of joke around, but I say, like, since I would die for you, you need to shut up and listen to what I tell you. <laughs> right? Right. Because I would die for you. You lay down that trump card. I would die for you. You think I'm kidding? What do you think? What do you think, tough guy, tough girl? Do you think, you think I'm kidding? Mm-hmm. You know the reason I have moral authority over you right now is I would die for you. Yeah. And that, to me, that's the definition of New Testament Jesus agape love. Yeah. I would die for you. I lay down my life for you. Now, living that out day to day, you know, every one of us faces a different challenge. And what does that mean today? Mm-hmm. How do I die to self and, and give my life to this, to this kid that I love? Uh, more than life itself, that, you know, that, that is that is challenging. And having, you know, from, from my perspective as a woman, having counseled, mentored girls for over 35 years, I don't hear a lot of them say, I know my dad would die for me. So well, you I saying think, that is powerful. I, it, I think it's an interesting thing because, you know, uh, my friend Emerson Egrich, I don't know if you mm-hmm. know Emerson, yep. Sarah mm-hmm. Egrich, but he talks about how women and men perceive these things differently. In other words, women perceive the way guys would perceive something, a woman might perceive it as unloving. And the guy says, I'm loving. Are you crazy? Of course I love you. I do think that is a challenge that I face as a dad is that just because you know that you would die for your daughter, do they know that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I actually make a point often of saying to my daughter that I love her to the point of embarrassing her. 
Uh, love it. You Do know it. I love you. And you know I would die for you, right? Like, you know, even to say that in a teasing way, to say, like, that's why I got the upper hand here, because I would die for you mm. in a second. So you need to respect that. And I think that when any of us knows that somebody would die for us, mm-hmm. we, we, it kind of gets our attention. But I, I think sometimes making it explicit, and let's face it, we have to live it out. And that's where we're all going to fail one way or the other. But we've got to mm-hmm. try to live these things out and know that God is the one looking at us, even if we fail, even if our kids don't get it. Absolutely. I didn't get it with my parents. And, you know, the more I live, the more embarrassed I am by what a crummy kid I was. Mm -hmm. People who gave me everything, who sacrificed. And I think, but I do think that's it, that when you see your parents sacrifice for you, when you see your parents live out their love for you, even if you don't get it consciously, you're getting it. I absolutely agree. There's no way around it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, if you're just joining us, this is Eric McTaxis, and we're talking about him as a dad to a daughter. So, Eric, I would love to ask you, in 2016, you wrote a book called Seven Women and the Secret of Their Greatness, where you highlighted extraordinary women, Joan of Arc, Corey Tamboom, Mother Teresa, Rosa Parks. I've got to ask, what inspired you to write a book about women? Was your daughter a part of that inspiration? How did she respond to that book? Well, uh, Really, I never intended to write a book called Seven Women. I wrote a book called Seven Men because I see that, you know, in our very broken culture, at the very heart of it is this inability to appreciate men and and strong men. This is God's plan, is that men would be strong and that that strength would be used to protect and love women and children and other men, that, that, that God wants us to be strong. And I really feel we have a crisis of masculinity and manhood in our country, so mm-hmm. I wrote Seven Men just because I thought that was important. And then people automatically ask me, are you going to write seven women? Are you going to write seven women? And I thought, huh, <laughs> I guess, yeah, of course. Like, what a great idea. It wasn't my idea. And I really thought that all I can do, and I, I really think this is kind of what biography can be, right? We need heroes. And Absolutely. when you found a story there, it's, I think sometimes particularly Christians are tempted to be very on the nose and very here are the learning here are the lessons you learn from this life or from this life. There's a part of me that says we do that too much. Sometimes you just present a life and you let people take from it whatever they're going to take from it. You don't need to, to give them the Aesop's fable, the moral of the story is, the moral of the story is. You can, you can do that, but I think that just looking at a life is inspiration. When you look at a life like Mother Teresa, when you mm-hmm. look at a life like Ten Boom, you look at a life like uh, Rosa Parks, all the... Something in us responds, even if we don't know exactly consciously what it is. I really think that it it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. A beautiful, true life like that inspires. And I think we're living in a time where there are very few wonderful role models. And I thought just to put out seven amazing stories of women is going to serve a purpose. When young women read these stories, their lives will be affected. And maybe they won't know exactly how, but I think I I owe it to my readership to put out these stories for men and for women. And I always Mm -hmm. think that seven women isn't just for women and seven men isn't just for men. I deliberately say that because I think that if I'm a girl, I want to know what makes a great man. I want to read these stories to inspire me to Mm -hmm. find a husband like that or to inspire my husband to be like that. But seven women for me was just an opportunity to put out seven beautiful Mm -hmm. stories of amazing human beings, hoping that young women especially would read these and just say, wow, I can can aim for that. My life can look like that. 
Yeah. That was really all that was, it was about. Oh, I love that. Well, today we've been talking with Eric McTassis. He's been sharing about his heart as a dad to his daughter. On your mark, the title has been How a Dad Can Inspire His Daughter's Greatness. Well, my last question for you, Eric, I love to end with one go step. If you could tell dads listening today with daughters, here is one practical way this week you can put your love for your daughter into action so that you can inspire her greatness. What would you say? Oh, that's a tough one. That's the toughest one of all. I really think that one thing that has crept into our culture, and I'm very guilty of this, is this kind of sarcastic, teasing, teasing thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think we have to be conscious of, are we doing that too much? Can I get real with my daughter and just let her know, hey, right now I'm looking at you. I'm not joking. I love you. Mm. Handle that, daughter. Does that make you cringe? Tough luck, because I love you. <laughs> I'm just, I, I really think to challenge ourselves not to always be doing the deflecting, joking, joking, but there are times and just to say, mm-hmm. love you. you today, I, I want you to know that. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that's important. That there we, you go. Simple but profound. Once, not do it just once. But do it, uh, just do it when you get an opportunity, do that, because I think it makes a difference, and I do it. I agree. Well, thank you, Eric, so much for joining me today. This has been the Dad Whisper. You can always go to my website at drmichellewatson.com, where I have free resources for you, and I want to equip you as dads to dial into your daughter's hearts. So thank you, Eric, so much for being with us today. It's been a joy to have you here. Michelle, my privilege. Thank you.